0: To me, you're not only accelerating. You know, you hit. You're in a sequence, right? Like your hips turn first, and then your middle turns, and then your shoulders turn, and then your arms and back follow, right? Like all of those are in a sequence. Well, the next segment can't really get up to top speed until the segment below shuts down, right? That's literally how you're transferring energy. So you can't create energy as you go up. Like that's literally a law of physics. You can only transfer it. So. In order for me to speed the next segment up, I have to shut the segment down.
1: Hey there, I'm Ashley Burkhart, owner of Ashley V Training, former D1 athlete, and professional athlete in the game of softball. I even spent a little bit of time coaching at the college level as well. But now I coach athletes and especially youth athletes, and I try to teach them the ways to become the very best versions of themselves. And I know that they can't do that without a support system that will do anything and everything to make sure their dreams and their goals happen for them. A lot of times I hear parents and coaches saying, Hey, I'm just going to dish my athlete off to you. Hopefully you can figure out what her issue is. Here's the deal. That's not how we should coach. That's not how we should parent. And I can tell you right now, I'm not a parent, but your athlete is the most influenced by you. And I truly believe that you are one of the reasons why she plays the game. And I truly believe you are one of the reasons why she plays so hard. So if we can learn from some of the greats, I'm gonna have some of the best softball players some of the best softball players parents even my parents and my family are going to be on this podcast sharing our journeys with you so that when the cleats do come off you know what to say so that she can learn from her mistakes sooner so that she can become the best version of her and that's what we want we want our athletes to be able to thrive and that's why we're here so welcome to this podcast this is going to get real this is going to get deep And I'm here to challenge your thinking. That's why I coach. I'm really excited for you to be here. And I can't wait to hear who else is going to be along this journey with us. Learning from some of the best. I'm going to be learning too. So whip out your notebook and let's head to the next episode. Welcome back to another episode of When the Cleats Come Off. I'm Ashley Agle, and I am stoked to give you a conversation with none other than Rachel Folden. If you guys haven't looked at the news recently in the MLB, just to clarify, Rachel was the first ever female hitting coach on staff for the Cubs organization. And yes, I'm a Cubby fan, but here's the deal. I'm a Rachel Folden fan, and you're going to learn a lot about her her in this episode. Before we dive into what you'll find, let's go over some of her credentials. She played at Marshall University, and she was a four-time All-American there. From there, she was drafted to the NPF, which was the same league I played in just a few years prior. She competed five years in the NPF. She was named Rookie of the Year. She was a four-time All-NPF catcher, the 2011 Offensive Player of the Year, and she had so many other records that still stand to this day. I should also note that while she was playing, she was coaching collegiately as well, and Valpo was one of those schools that she coached at. Now, after coaching in college and playing professionally, she opened up her own place called... Folden Fast Pitch. And it's located up here in Northwestern Indiana. So crazily enough, I have not seen her facility, but her and I talked off the cuff and said, Hey, we need to meet. <laughs> so I plan to go check out her facility in her off season as well this winter. Um, but she is very well known up here. The athletes that she works with love her and there's a lot to love. And you're about to find out how in this episode. She now is the minor league hitting coach and lead lab tech for the Cubs organization. She's out in Arizona, killing the game, crushing it, and thankfully, we have her on the show this week. You'll be able to find in this episode her journey from starting off playing baseball to then softball, to playing in college, coaching in college, pro softball, and what it's like coaching for the Cubs now. She also talks about how she believes girls and boys should be coached and how they should be coached to get the most out of them. And she actually talks about the differences between coaching girls and boys. And I found that really, really interesting. She also talks about how parents can develop a better relationship with their players by going to their lessons. So there's a lot of value in showing up and being at your kid's lesson because if you learn alongside them, you're going to be able to take away probably more than they will in a lesson, but be able to instill the practices that they're learning from their coach. So that's one of my favorite favorite parts, the importance of showing your investment to your athlete. We also talk about the biggest lesson she has learned about cueing her athletes, and we talk about so much more. So crazy enough... I decided that this is going to be a two-parter because we dive super deep into these details um, and how to build better relationships with your athletes. And I loved this part so much and we dove deeper than I ever thought we would that we're going to talk about this this week. And then next week, we're going to dive a lot into and we're going to nerd out about the swing and how to be able to execute with confidence as a hitter. So that'll be next week. But this week, this is what you're going to get. So make sure to like, share, and subscribe to the podcast if you're loving these episodes like this one, to keep this game growing stronger than it ever has. We love having you here, and I'm so excited to introduce you to Rachel Folden. Rachel Folden, I'm so excited to have you on the show this week. Welcome to When the Cleats Come Off. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. (laughs) This is going to be fun. I've Internally, this has been like a dream of mine to have you on simply because the way you talk about hitting fires me up. Like, the way I listened to an interview with you and your boss with the Cubs, and I'm just like, dude, the way they speak about hitting, it's just like it blows my mind. And I know that there's so much knowledge in you that I'm just dying to get out. So, for all you hitting geeks out there listening, like, this is gonna be a fun one. (laughs) I'm dying to know. And before we like dive into hitting and all the exciting things I want to dive into, I really just kind of want to know your story from I know you played baseball first to then playing softball. You also played pro. Like, kind of take us through that journey um, from where you started loving the game to where you are now.
0: Sure. Uh, I'm like, come from a huge baseball family. My dad's a big baseball fan, played baseball his whole life. Uh, My older brother played baseball. I played baseball with. Uh, I have, uh, he's technically my stepbrother, but I consider him my brother, uh, we're the same age. So we played on the same baseball team together. And so we just big baseball family. Um, I kind of got forced into softball just because no baseball opportunities for me past the age of 12. I actually didn't really want to play softball. I thought it was a dumb sport and I was, I was really good at basketball at that point. That was my best, my best sport around the age of like 12, 13, so I just quit baseball altogether. Started uh, playing basketball like full time. Dove right in, travel basketball, everything. And my coach, my basketball coach at the time, was coaching softball for his daughter, who was my best friend. And he asked me to play on a softball team, and I was like, "Well, no, I think softball's stupid." And he was like, "Well, you're probably not very good anyway." And so I just, I was challenged. So then I was like, "Okay, well then I'll play." That's it. Like I just fell in love with it. It felt like home because was, I wasn't a girl anymore. There were a bunch of you know, women that looked like me, which was awesome and super comforting. And I had a, a great time playing. I obviously played, ended up like being pretty good through high school. Got recruited, which was I never ever even considered that. I don't have anybody in my family that went to college, and that nobody in my immediate family like graduated from college. And so we hadn't gone through like the recruiting process. Nothing. I was like, completely clueless. So getting recruited, ended up going to Marshall University, which was the best time of my life. I would go, if you, I could do my life over again, I'd go there again and ended up getting drafted to play pro softball, which was awesome. And five years in the NPF and uh, just, you know, always have just been in love with the game. And I've been coaching at individual level, since I was in college. I gave lessons for money while I was in college. And I, just really, I've always enjoyed that. And once my playing career was over, I transitioned into college coaching. I coached at Holy Names University, which is a tiny, tiny little school in Oakland, California. And, which was cool, cause I got to move close to my mom. My mom lives in the area and we were right next to each other year, great. And then I ended up getting the coaching job at Valparaiso University in Indiana, which is how I ended up in Indiana. And I enjoyed college coaching but I hated recruiting. Like, that was the least favorite part of it. I like coaching, but I hated sitting at a field all day watching, you know, mostly bad softball to try to find a good player, and then just like not sleeping in my bed every night. And I just, that was just a part where I just hated it. And I had moved around so much, you know, like going off to college, coming back home. My mom sold her house in between, like while I was in college, so we had to move. And there was this big, like, I was just moving constantly. And so I didn't want to like travel anymore. So I just started giving lessons and I realized how much I just loved it and how much it gave me the freedom to just like learn and experiment, right? Without the risk of somebody firing me or, you know, I guess, individual clients can fire you but it's not like i'm gonna lose my entire salary if i don't win you know so it yeah. was it gave me freedom yeah. to experiment and to explore and to to really dive into things that i wish i had when i played and so uh i i just gave that full time i did that for like 10 years and then this opportunity with the cubs came along um if you, before I got hired, about a year and a half before I got hired, I got introduced to Justin Stone, who's the uh, president of Elite Baseball. Mm-hmm. And he is, he was a consultant for the Cubs at the time. And we just started partnering on a bunch of like contracts with college baseball and college softball teams. And so we took our data cage on the road with us and we would go analyze players and write recommendations and do stuff like that for college baseball and college softball programs. And then he ended up getting the position for the director of hitting for the Chicago Cubs and he needed to fill out minor league coaches. And obviously with the demands of his position, it was very much trying to blend like the old school with the new school. And so he needed coaches that had experienced coaching but also knew how to use the technology and analyze the data from it too, and kind of blend all of those together. So all of a sudden I was very qualified for a job that just happened to open up. And so it became a kind of a a natural fit. And so I remember we were driving to go work with the university of Michigan, their softball team. And on our way up there, he goes, I, uh, I want you to come interview for the position, you know, for a minor league hitting position. And I was like, okay. So I did it, and uh, I interviewed for it. Ended up getting the job, which was great, and here I am. And so that's how I ended up here as a rookie ball hitting coach with the Chicago Cubs. So rad! I love that
1: <laughs> little plug or teaser. My sister just committed a player's like final year at Michigan this year. The way they like at- approach hitting is like unlike any program I've ever seen. Like, Mm -hmm. I just love how much Hutch devotes to her team. And, like, the fact that you guys are headed up there is just a testament to, like, just that program itself.
0: Yeah. Hutch is a legend. That's I know. uh, Hutch is a legend. And she's awesome, too. Like, very down to earth, very regular, um, just has, like, a pretty cool presence about her that, like, I just kind of want to have a beer with her and hang out and just, like, talk for hours (laughs) about coaching. She's great. She's fantastic. Me, too.
1: Yeah, so I'm actually headed up there this weekend to watch their fall ball games. I'm just – and it's nice being in Indiana because it's just a simple, like, you know, two-and-a-half, three-hour drive for me. Yeah. Um. So I'm just stoked. My sister used to be in North Carolina. That was a little harder to get to, but, yeah. A little bit. Yeah, shout-out to Hutch. I'll have to tell her that we were on here um, talking about Your her.
0: sister's just making the, uh, the greatest college gear world tour of all time. She went to North Carolina. Now <laughs> she's at Michigan. I know. Wow. Two
1: Jordan schools, like –
0: it yeah, doesn't get you got to raid. You got to raid her closet like crazy. I hope you guys are the same size.
1: Yeah, we're pretty close. It's gonna happen. I'm Perfect. the one always giving her stuff, and that's gonna have to change here real soon. Absolutely, I love it. So I want to kind of go back into your story a little bit because I loved how you hated softball at first because I think. I don't want to say everybody that went from baseball to softball. It's kind of like you see the sport, you see baseball in one light. And I also played baseball first, um, was the only girl on my team, probably sat at the bench more than most. I wasn't really that good when I played baseball. And then all of a sudden I'm playing softball and I'm like, oh, like one, I got really good playing baseball and didn't even know it. And now I'm like really good playing softball ish. But even I was kind of skeptical of softball because like, when it comes down to the interaction with everybody on the team, like boys act a different way. Don't you agree? Like they just they play the game differently. They have a little bit of an ego, but it normally helps them. I mean, at a, at a young age I noticed. And just the amount of swag they have, it's it's a little more visible for for guys. So like what were the reasons why you hated softball at first? And I know you shared a little bit of how you started liking it, but why why do you feel that was? I
0: think I got tired of being the only girl. Like at first, yeah. it was cool, right? Like,
1: mm-hmm. oh yeah,
0: that team has a girl on it, and like, oh okay, she's pretty good, and like whatever. And I was a terrible baseball player, by the way, too. So um, <laughs> love it. I, I always, I always, always really good on defense. I could not hit. I could It was just hilarious because I'm a hitting coach now. But like, I was a terrible, terrible hitter. My last season of 12U baseball, which I guess majors like in little league, I went O for the season. I mean, I got zero hits in my, in my last season, I was terrible. And, um, I think why I d- didn't enjoy softball. First of all, my, my impression of softball, I played softball in like middle school. It was slow pitch. So my mm-hmm. impression of softball was slow pitch softball. And then if it was fast pitch, it was like, yeah, but it's not really fa- fast pitch, right? It's like, okay, you like do the full windmill, but it's like, you're not really throwing as hard as like, cause I could do, I could throw I had a good arm. I I, I could always play defense. And so I could throw. So I just figured like, yeah, but like, that's not going to be the same. And so I think like societally, right. We kind of always, the women always get like the watered down version of everything. And I think I kind of felt that I'm the youngest in my family and uh, kind of, I have a really hodgepodge family, but in my, my parents' divorce, in my mom's household where I live, it was me and my two older brothers. So, I always was treated like the youngest, and I was always treated like the girl. And I think that i like I, I I felt that if I went over to softball that we would all be treated that way. like we would all be treated like we were like, oh, okay, well, we'll just give you this watered down version of what our sport should actually be. And I think at the beginning, I do think that that is how a lot of youth softball is coached. and you like you said, you can go to. Uh, little league baseball practice and go to a little league softball practice and they're vastly different in not only the way that they're coached but in the way that the that the players act on the field mostly because of the way that they're treated and coached and raised and all that stuff and that part always bothered me because i always like i was raised around boys so like i i just wanted to that that was what i was comfortable that was my element right and so when you put me on a field full of girls i didn't know how it was going to go and i obviously fell in love with it but yeah i was i was real skeptical of it at first for sure
1: yeah. Now from your experience in baseball and softball, do you feel like girls need to be coached? Most girls need to be coached a different way. I know every athlete needs to be coached a different way, but should talking to girls, and I know a lot of coaches are, are listening to this, should talking to girls and talking to boys be different? And, and if so, how should it be different?
0: I think yes, um, but not in the way that it's done. So Mm -hmm. do I think that there are different things that young women and young men have to go through on a daily basis? Yeah, I do. I think that it's very, very different when a man walks into a room full of all women and when a woman walks into a room full of complete er, or all men, right? I think there's a huge, a vastly different feel there. So do I think that there's a, a difference in the way that we should, you know, like Parallel coaching to life, yes, absolutely. Or parallel playing to life, yeah. I think that those women go through different things than men do, and boys go through different things than girls do. So I do think that that's it. But do I think that they should be spoken to with a different tone because you know, oh, men need to learn how to be tough, and women, you know, we can't go too hard on our girls. No, absolutely not. Do I think that? And that's not to say that women be coached tougher. I think maybe we need to back off on our boys a little bit too sometimes. I think there's yeah. there's a middle ground there too. But like the way that the game is explained and the way that the game is coached, I don't think should be any different. And that is the part that bothers me the most. When it comes to what you're dealing with off the field and what you're dealing with in school on a daily basis, yeah, it's different. Like, yeah, you you have to find those things as a coach that allow you to coach each player Individually, like you said before because yeah every athlete is different but everything that they go through changes with their gender and I wish that wasn't the case but it is the case
1: yeah that was that's so well said and I totally agree too I think I don't want to say some coaches are being soft but I do think that it, soft is like I don't really like that term at all I don't know why I just said it But I think there is an element of toughness that I was grown up with. My dad coached me and I'm one of the lucky ones who like, if I wasn't the best player, I wasn't playing, but he coached me in basketball and then he coached me in softball. And I think through all of that coaching prior to like travel ball, he started understanding how girls tick, but also how being a tough coach can get more out of a kid. And none of that came without trust. So I think the greatest coaches I ever had had tons of, like we had trust in that coach. Therefore, being coach tough, we could take it because we know that they had, aka my dad and the coaches that he was with, they had our best interests in mind. And we developed that trust. Therefore, being tough on us, it wasn't like an attack. It was just like, you're right. I did screw up there. Like okay, let's let's figure this out. Let's work on this. Um, so, how big do you think the trust element is for coaches to have with their players?
0: Oh, it's huge. I mean, if if a player genuinely like people are really really perceptive creatures, and I don't think like especially I don't think we give kids enough credit for how perceptive they are. Kids can tell when you're full of, for lack of a better term, when you're full of shit. They can yeah. they can tell when you're just saying stuff and you're being disingenuous versus when you're telling them something because you care and you know it always goes back to the old saying of nobody cares how much you know until they know how much you care and that's so true like they have to know that you care about them at least like caring about their well-being while they're a member of the team right like no one's saying that you gotta like go to every kid you've ever coached wedding or you know you don't have to like know their family members by first name like nobody's saying that but they have to know that you care about them in that while you're here and while you're a member of this team i care about your well-being and i care about your success right because those players let's be honest like everybody wants to be good at what they're doing so like do you care enough to help me be good at what i want to do because that that's what a player wants a player just wants to get better and so like That's how, to me, that's how you establish trust. Like, if you don't have that caring element of it, if you're just there because you want the players to help you look good as a coach, like, they'll see right through that. And they will not give you the time of day. They'll they'll disrespect you more. They will roll their eyes when you talk. But if you want, you can coach them tough as long as they know, like, okay, like, when coach talks, like, I know they got my back. Absolutely, I think that's huge.
1: Yeah, you saying that reminded me of something. Do you ever get parents that, Cause you own this facility in Indiana and I know you work with youth athletes. Do you ever get parents that are like, well, they're not listening to me anymore. So I brought them here. You get that.
0: Oh, all the time. Yeah.
1: For a while it was like, Oh, that's really sweet. Like you're thinking of me because you know, I can connect with your player, but this podcast, when the cleats come off was made so that parents can have a better relationship with their athlete. I was blessed with a dad who like would do anything and everything to help me as long as he could And then he did have to hand me off to somebody because he kind of ran out of knowledge and it was just like, okay, if you want to play college, like let's let's be coached by a college coach, you know, but I, I want parents to know that it's not an easy road trying to get to know a kid and get the most out of them. But I feel like there's a responsibility, too, for parents to at least understand where they're at and like be able to help them as much as possible. So how can parents maybe that are looking to build more trust with their
0: athlete, what are ways that maybe you would
1: recommend they can do that?
0: I think, I mean, to me, we bridge like as lesson coaches or team coaches or whatever, we bridge the gap between like the parent and the player, because it's like, now they don't have to fight with each other because now it's not mom or dad telling me, Oh, well you need to go do this. You need to go do this. It's like, Hey, remember when Coach Ashley said that you need to be doing this here, I'm to help you do that. So now you just bridge that. You just took it off of yourself. You took it out, you know, out of your own hands and said, Hey, I'm here to help you. Just Coach Ashley is helping you. Let's let's all do it together. And to me, it like bridges that gap. It like takes the pressure off. You know, like I have an online training website, and that's part of like how I market is it. like it takes the pressure off of the parent, because it's like, well, I didn't, I didn't write this, this workout, Rachel, you know, and you, you told me that you wanted to sign up. So I'm just here to hold you accountable and help you however you want to. But it's now, it's no longer me telling you what to do because it gets old, you know, like obviously kids uh, going back to the care question, kids know that their parents care about them. They're, they're not like, of course your parents care about you. They're paying for you to live on this earth, right? We're putting a roof over your head. We're paying for you to live. Of course we care, but it does. The, the message does wear thin a while. If it's the same person telling you over and over and over again, what to do. And so when you introduce that, that third party coach, it does, it kind of like bridges that gap and it says, okay, well we can come together because then it's like, I didn't, I really didn't like what Rachel said. That was kind of weird. Yeah. You know what? That is weird. I didn't like the way that that felt either. Now, now we're coming together and finding some common ground. And now Rachel's the bad guy, which is totally fine. That's, that's part of a coach's job, right? Is like, sometimes we got to be, and sometimes we don't have everything. We don't have our stuff together all the time. So yeah, I think it just, yeah, sure.
1: Man, I love how you said that. And I need to incorporate that a little bit more, probably with my marketing too, because it's true. (laughs) It's, we, we are that person that, like, I don't like saying authority figure, but someone who maybe can see the swing differently and introduce challenges and introduce very unconventional ways to work on something. Like I know you're this way too, is when we see something with an athlete, we're just like, okay, what kind of drill can we create here that's going to help with this thing? And like having that, that we introduce in in a lesson, having mom and dad there, seeing, absorbing it and probably getting more out of it than the athlete, let's be honest, can then go home and be like, hey, remember how uncomfortable that was? Let's work on mastering that at home. Let's work on you know perfecting that movement. And perfection is probably a word I shouldn't use because perfection is not right. attainable. But <laughs> mastering that skill together, so that next time you go see Rachel or next time you go see your coach, it's now like okay, what new things can we dive into? Um, it reminds me of like back in the day with my dad. Once I started going to an elite hitting coach, he came to every lesson. Like for the first two years, he came to every single one. He brought a notebook, was taking notes. He was actually in a cage next to us doing the drill too. Like it was just so fun because like he's, he's learning alongside me. And I think there's a lot that parents can take away from that. It's like, show them that you're invested because that built trust with my dad. But also again, he's learning the verbiage and the cues so that I could go home and work on mastering the skill. And then we just keep building up from there.
0: I think that's, I think the the kids that progress the best are the the kids that have the parents that are the most invested and like, are there, I don't shun. I hate when you go to a facility and it's like the parents area is like a hundred yards away. And like the lessons going on over here, like, yeah, I, there's value to that. Don't get me wrong. One of my, you know, good friends, his name is Ryan Johansson. He coaches, he, he uh, is a coordinator, hitting coordinator in the white Sox organization. And he, owns a facility in like Elgin, Illinois. And I know that they had kind of like a like a live stream so parents could watch their kids hit, but they couldn't be there. And I, I get the premise of that. Is it like, it opens up this like freedom of the kid can talk about whatever they want. And the kid, it's very player led and player driven and they can just be free and they don't have to worry about the pressure. And that we, you and I both know there are times when that parent walks in the room and the whole dynamic changes because the kid does not want to upset the parent. Disappoint the parent, look bad in front of the parent, whatever it is. There's this like demeanor there that like the kid just completely changes. But for the most part, if you can find a way to engage parent and get them on this learning process with you, then to me that can only help the athlete get better because who's going to work on it with them the other six days out of the week? right? He come to you once a week. Who's going to work on it the other six days out of the week? They're, they're going to go into the basement or the garage or out to the field with mom or dad. They're not they're not going to call you and be like, hey, can I get a virtual lesson the other three days out of the week when they go hit? They're not going to do that. They're going to go hit with mom and dad and they're going to hope that you're going to hope that they work on the things that you wanted them to work on. And so to me, the more you can involve that the parent or the, whoever's bringing them, grandpa, grandma, aunts, uncles, I've seen big sisters, little sisters, mm-hmm. you know, Whoever ringing them, that person is going to be the person that it's just as important to educate them as well. So if they're not going to be there, if you can't have them there, if you have one of those mega facilities that like there's just balls flying everywhere and it's too dangerous for the parent to be right there in the cage, which, you know, you see that all the time. Then you have to come up with a way to educate the parent as well, because that parent is going to have their kid's ear, whether you like it or not. 100%.
1: We are getting really, really close to a special event that I have not done since the midst of COVID, and that's a virtual hitting workshop. I used to do these every single week during COVID, and honestly, they wore me out, but here's the deal. It was because of all the energy brought every single week. I honestly should do more of them, and because I've missed them and because I know athletes are struggling a little bit right now, trying to find their identity as a hitter inside, outside the sport. They're trying to figure out what they want to be doing this off season and working on their mental game, working on their physical and mental skills. These are things that we are going to be working on November 1st at 6 p.m. Eastern. And we're gonna work for an hour and a half. So for an hour and a half of work, all that it costs is 10 bucks. So if you head to my website, www.ashleybtraining.com you'll be able to find the link and sign your daughter up for this special event that we have not done in a long time, but I know she will leave more empowered and excited to attack her goals this off season. So again, www.ashleybetraining.com or tap the link in my show notes, you'll be able to find where you can click on the virtual hitting workshop that we are be- going to be doing November 1st at 6 p.m. Eastern. If you have any questions, feel free to send me an email. But I'm so excited to see who comes and hits and is inspired with us this upcoming Monday. By the way, if you sign up and you can't make it, everybody that's going to sign up is going to get a recording of the clinic itself. So if you can't come, you can still get a lot out of this, Um, still get that bang for your buck. Honestly, these used to cost so much more, but it is super, super important that your athlete is inspired this off season to work on her, and this is going to kickstart that. All right, I will see some of you guys next week at the Virtual Hitting Workshop. So what about the parent that comes to a lesson and you can tell the kid is uncomfortable because after a bad swing, the parent has something to say. And it's kind of like, how do you deal with that as a hitting coach? Like I am personally asking this question because I have my own way of going about it, but I'd really love to hear your perspective in that regard.
0: So typically I don't handle it on the spot. Um, That's typically something that like I always have to remember that they're a paying customer, yeah. right? They're, they're paying me my time. How they choose to spend that time is up to them. So is is it frustrating? Is it annoying? Do I know that it's not going to be an adequate training environment for the kid? Sure. But I let it go. And then trying to find a way to handle that uh, like outside of the lesson, be, be it like via text message or something like that, you know like maybe if the parent goes to the bathroom or something and the kid kind of opens up to me about something that might be something that I might use as like hey when you were in the bathroom your you know your kid said to me this this and this and so maybe this is something that we could try and sometimes it gets received really well i would say 90% of the time it gets received pretty yeah. well and then there's 10% of the time where you can just tell that like the next time they come in, that parent is kind of pissed off mm-hmm. at me for saying something, mm-hmm. which is fine. Um, but I I really only mention it once. And unless something inappropriate is said where I have, I've gotten into it with parents before for just saying inappropriate stuff, yeah. you know, like just where it's like, hey, you you can't talk like that in here. Like we can't have that. There's been instances where, like with that. But for the most part, parents don't realize that they're doing right. Yeah. and and i i think that drawing their attention to it they might not hear you right away and th- it might not change for weeks but eventually then the kid starts to maybe like say something to him, and now it's two people saying something to him, and now it's like oh okay maybe i should back off or whatever and i've seen some big changes with it but i i don't i don't handle it on the spot because at the end of the day it's like they're showing up every day right they're on time they pay me the same as everybody else. If this is what they want their experience to be, then this is what they want their experience to be. You know, it's no different than a parent dropping off a player and the the kid being the problem, right? Like that's that, that happens too. And so, it, to me, it's like, hey, you're you're a paying customer. I'm going to give you every tool that I know how to to be successful if you choose to take it take it. And if you don't, then that's fine, but I'm not going to give up on you. Right. Right. The only thing that I'm going to, I'm going to kick somebody out of my rotation for is, you know, being late and not showing up and literally directly taking money out of my pocket. Yeah. I'll, I'll kick you out of the rotation for that, but I'm not going to kick you out of the rotation because your parent won't shut up. That's not, that might be the best part of that kid's week. That might be the best part of their week or the best part of the parent's Mm -hmm. week. And we don't know that, you know, so it's like, I, to me, that's just one of those occupational things that we have to deal with. How do you deal with it? I've
1: done it that way for sure. I'm I'm just really glad that you address it too, because I think obviously if it's bugging you, it's communications always king, queen, whatever you want to call it. And I think that in a setting where let's say the athlete has no idea that you're having a conversation with the parent, I think it's just important because I actually used to be the player that you know, if dad something, dad said something in a game. Like now I'm all internal and now I'm not showing up. And I have had times where I don't show up in games because of that. So I like to just share my experience of like, hey, um, you know, when I was younger and I was trying to please my dad all the time, everything that he would say would really get in my head and make me overthink, and my performance went down. And I'm I'm sensing the same thing going on with so-and-so. And And when I address it that way, like you said, most of the time it's received so well and it's hard for the parent to not say anything later. And you can tell like they're just fighting it. But I think over time, it's like you let it breathe a little bit and you're like, whoa, like it does make an impact. So I've seen players thrive after one lesson of not having a parent in the background saying anything and, and and the parent sees it too. So I think that I address it, there have been times where I've addressed it on the spot just because it's like literally the lesson starts out here and it's like all the way down here just because of one thing being said. And I want to be able to to make the most of the time as well because I really care about this kid and I want her to do well. But yeah, that's normally how I go about it. But it's a it's a fine line. And I know there's coaches here that are like, oh my gosh, I don't even realize that, you know, that is happening and here here might be a way to address it, but you've probably never been asked that question. So I was just curious. I
0: actually haven't, but it's, it's so true. It's like, as parents, right? Like, I mean, if you've been on social media for 10 minutes, it's no secret that like the older generation, I I don't even want to say older, 40 somethings with, with like teenage Mm -hmm. kids, right? 40 somethings with teenage kids are like, Ah, uh, these kids, like you know, they're ungrateful and they don't you know they don't work hard and whatever. And it's like, so we we want them to take ownership of everything, right? But then we're not going to give them ownership. And so I think sometimes we can phrase it to them that way, and that's kind of how I go about it. is like, listen, you know, she doesn't need your feedback. And she also doesn't need my feedback, right? she wants our feedback. Don't get me wrong. Like we want approval. We're human beings. We want other people's approval. Like I don't, the people that are like, I don't care what other people think they're lying. Yes, they do. We want other people's approval. And so, but you don't, you're not the sole source of her happiness or her, what she's getting out of that lesson. And so if you want her to take some ownership over it, let her sit with her mistake every once in a while, or let her sit with their success every once in a while. And that's something that I've had to learn as a coach too, is I don't need to say something after every swing. Right. And I like to talk. Mm-hmm. Anyone who has met me understands that I like to talk. And so watching someone take two or three swings in a row and not saying anything was like excruciating for me at the beginning, but I realized I needed to do it because what would happen is, and you probably deal with this in the cage too, you flip one underhand pitch, the kid hits a rocket to like left field and they're staring straight at you. What, what, did I do it? Did I do it right? It's like, no, 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 no. So I've been going about this all wrong. I need to go about this better. They don't need, they're, they're seeking my approval so much because I'm giving it to them on every single swing that they take, that they're forgetting about the task that they're trying to do. And that's a problem. Mm-hmm. Right. That's a huge problem. And so I think that's where, um, you know, I, I've I've really learned, especially in the last few years of just like backing off and saying less and just letting the training environment give them all the feedback that they yeah. need. And and it's been super successful because it's like you, you have kids that like they come up with things on their own and they're not afraid to ask questions because they have a minute to speak because someone isn't saying something after every single swing. And that was really hard for me to learn at the beginning. Oh, I, I completely agree.
1: I used to say way too much. And now I think my best lessons are when I say barely anything because they are figuring out their own problems. They are making adjustments mm-hmm. on their own. And it's it's the it's the best thing to see as a coach. And I know parents probably see the same thing. Now I have seen it kind of similar on a similar note. Blast motion, because a lot of people are using these now, that's like tracking, you know, swing patterns and attack angle, approach angle, launch angle, all these different things. And but most importantly, the thing that people love is the barrel speed and that number. Okay. And I've seen athletes that they've come to a lesson and they're hooked onto the bear with the blast and every swing it'll say their barrel speed. Like and and it starts to go and I'm literally like going crazy because I'm like your kid is in a warm up trying to beat her barrel speed on her first 10 swings today. And like every single one it's like oh my gosh, I missed the mark. Oh my gosh, I missed the mark. Oh, that one was good. And I'm like that's too much. It's like a coach trying to say too
0: much. Don't you agree? Yeah. But I think you you have the te- if you're going to use those those data tech tools in your cage, which I obviously am a huge advocate of you have to you have to use them the right way every tool is good and every tool is Mm -hmm. bad and so and and a lot of it's just the education with kids you know hey i'm gonna give you this tool to use but like today's gonna be an attack angle day and we're gonna work on you know making sure that we're impacting the ball between four and eight degrees and you know however we have to make that happen and that just kind of turns their brain off and also too like i mean if you set up your your blast thing too um you can set it up on it doesn't have to show their barrel speed. You can turn that right. off. Right. And then all of a sudden, but, but again, it's like, but then I have the kids in there that go and they swing at 75% all the time. And I want them to juice it up. And so I need their barrel speed to be visible. Cause I need them to know when they're not swinging hard. Mm-hmm. Right. So yeah, it, you get these wild, I think, I think we're kind of, we've grown, we're, we're obsessed with bat speed in, in the United States. We're obsessed with it. And there's good and bad to that, right? Like, yes, swinging the bat harder is better, assuming nothing else about the swing changes, right? So, like, we have to make sure that we're swinging the bat fast, but like, it's going in the right direction. And so, I think what happens is when you have hit tracks in your cage, and when you have, which I do, or when you have blast, or when you have a radar gun, or whatever is present measuring speed, is people always assume that faster is better. And in most cases it is, to be honest, but it can be what you see is you get these these kids that even like like players that we have coming here that are professional baseball players. They've gone through college and they have these like these swing flaws that are so ingrained because and I can just I just know this because I come from the facility world is like because they they grew up taking lessons in a facility and swinging a certain way because it's. Yeah, well, my exit velocity went up, so I got better, right? My bat speed went up, so I got better, right? And in some instances, like, yeah, yeah. I mean, hitting the ball harder is better. But, like, how often are you able to do that, right? And so, like, there's give and take to it. But I I do think that training for velocity is a very, very, whether it's barrel speed, exit velocity, throwing velocity, pitching velocity, whatever it is, I do think it's super useful. I think everybody should do it. But it's our responsibility as a coach is to understand how that information is being digested and understanding that it's not more is better. And and one of the things that I like to tell the kids that are in there is like when you are in when you do lift in high school and most most kids lift in high school now. Right. It, even girls, which is freaking awesome. We don't lift in high school. And so they have like these these lifting classes. I'm like, do you max out every week? And they're like, no. And I'm like, why not? And they're like, well, because that's dangerous. It would hurt me. I need to like recover and rest. And then, you know, we max out and then we build a, a program and then we, we test again in like 12 weeks or whatever. And I'm like, exactly. You're not going to PR on bat speed every week. You're just not going to do it. So sometimes we're going to PR and then we're going to scale it back. Here's your training program. And then we're going to test again. And that's your target date. But today is not your target date. And so they're like, oh, okay. And I'm like, you're going to have days where you go into the weight room. And you feel strong as hell. And you're like, I want to PR today. I want to max out today because I feel great. And that just means the program's working, but that doesn't mean that you need to PR Mm
1: -hmm. today,
0: right? And so they're like, okay. And I think that's kind of a good way to phrase it is you don't need to swing at max effort every single time. You need to swing at max effort when it's time to swing at max effort. 100%. And it's kind of like
1: when you think about like Olympians, they're trying to peak at the Olympics. And I think it has a, a lot of similarities with what we're talking about is like, you want to be at your best at this time of the year. Like most athletes playing softball or baseball, if anybody's listening there, like you're trying to, you're trying to peak at like your world series or your nationals. It doesn't really matter that much what you're doing in the fall. It does like, you want to be able to track your progress, but also like now's the time to try new things. Now's the time to experiment a little bit because you want to be at your best then by the way, thanks for talking about technology because it's something that I know if used correctly can change the game. And it already is like, obviously you're a younger coach in one of the best baseball programs. Like, yes, I'm a huge Cubs fan, but I'm going to say it like you use technology in the right way. And I think even just that little bit of digestion is I'm, I'm learning so much from, but I think you're right. Like an athlete, It's good to kind of go about like certain days, like attack angle day or let's say launch angle day or whatever. It's good for them to kind of like see where they're going and see, you know, hey, what do you think that number was? Like, oh, yeah, it was up here. But kind of like incorporating the feel with it, I think is super important because that's why when, you know, that athlete showed up, like the first five minutes, it was dinging a different number. And I'm like, can you please turn that off? Because this is a warm up here. We need to just focus on like getting our body loose, finding connection, but there are times where that can be super beneficial. And I think I'll start probably doing that like once a month. Like let's, let's see like where we've come, like, let's see where these drills have given us and, you know, let's compare the numbers then, but that's off the cuff. I want to talk to you about that more. Um, but I do want to talk more about, um, a phrase that you love talking about and it's ground force. So as a hitter, creating the most ground force is possible. You're huge on that. Can you go over what ground forces to you and maybe how you're enforcing that with your athletes? Do y'all see why we needed to make this a two-parter? We dove so deep into these topics and I am in awe of how she talks about player and coach relationship and how she cues her athletes and just getting to know the insides of her brain as a coach. I think that's something that, you know, I obviously have questions from my end and I know that if you're a coach or your parent, this is probably an episode that maybe opened your eyes a little bit differently to how to look at this relationship that you have with your athletes and that you can develop and become more of a team. So I wanna give you four takeaways that I got from this episode. I'm sure you got more, especially if you whipped out a notebook during this one. Um, But the first one was that siblings were a huge part of her success. She talks about playing outside with her siblings and I definitely can attest to this. I think just like playing and having fun and creating your own rules, there's something to just the freedom of that. And it helps you just become a gamer and competitive. Um, She also talks about being at your athletes' lessons and show that you're invested. I shared my story about my dad and I, and I'm not kidding, he would literally whip out a tee and start hitting next to me. And that meant a lot to me because I knew that he was learning alongside me and was going to do whatever it took to help me become the best version of me. Didn't you love her quote that said, the kids that progress the best have the parents who are the most invested? It doesn't mean that you have to be an expert at the game, but if they're wanting to learn something, learn alongside them. It really goes a long way. The third thing is ask your athlete if maybe she's having some intimidation issues when you're around. Um, Maybe she's trying to please you so much that when you're around at lessons, that's why she's not doing well. And honestly, it takes a little bit to to get this question answered from them, but I just want you to know that your athlete might actually be intimidated when you're around and it's better to talk about it and kind of come up with a solution, um, that'll help her the most. I know that, you know, I had a conversation with my dad about this. He was my coach though. So that's a little different. But when he wasn't my coach, um, he kind of knew that when he was around and saying things that I would start second guessing my abilities and he would then go to the other side of the field to where I can't find him so that I can get them off my mind and be able to perform. Now, that's our way of figuring that out. You may think of your own way of figuring out. There's no one way to have your athlete become the best version of her, but it's good to at least talk about it and see what she's thinking. The last thing is it's important to know how to use technology and to use it at its best. We talked about ways that it can work and ways that it won't work, and that is, (laughs) That is like the fun part about technology is like, it can be overused just like TikTok. Like it's a lot of fun. It's cool. But like, as soon as you start spending a lot of time on it, um, like multiple hours on it, it's probably not doing what it's supposed to do. which is entertain. And for blast motion or diamond kinetics or whatever it is that you're using with your athlete, it can be overused. So take Rachel's advice bring it out every once in a while. You're not trying to have your peak performance or swing capacity or swing speed. You're not supposed to do it every week. You're not supposed to beat it every week. You're just supposed to work on the things that you work on in lessons and then check in every once in a while and see if you're progressing in certain areas. That's the point of it. And she, I'm sure, can dive so much more into that. Um, And like I said, this is a two-part episode. I know we left you hanging at the end of this one, but I hope it's enough to inspire you to want to check in and start listening to Rachel and I pick the crap out of her brain when it comes to the swing in episode two with Rachel Folden. It is a fun one. So check out that episode next Wednesday where we dive deep into the fundamentals of the swing and how to create more power and competitiveness in your hitting approach. I'm starting to stumble words, which means I'm super passionate. All right. So don't forget to stay awkward, brave, stay humble, and keep working on becoming the best version of you. If you like this episode, please share it. Please like it. Write me a review in Apple Podcasts and who knows, maybe I'll feature you in a review soon on the episodes. So see you guys next week with part two with Rachel.